Welcome to the Early Childhood Intervention Family Voices podcast. Our podcast today is being recorded on the lands of the Jajawaring people, and I wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. I'd also like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families and professionals. We hope the podcast builds on families' knowledge, skills and confidence when navigating early childhood supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their individual stories as a family with a child with a disability or developmental delay. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VicTAS. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au. Hello, I'm Kerry Ball and I'm joined today by Penny. Hi, Penny. Good to see you. Hi, Kerry. Really great to meet you. We met each other just last week and had a chat and you talked to me then about your four adult children. Um, but I'm wondering if you can take us back and paint a picture for us about your family life when they were young. Certainly, Kerry. I would love to talk about that. And thank you for asking me along today. Thinking about our family going right back to when four children were younger. Firstly, I'd love to comment on the three older children that were my three girls. Um, it, life was very busy. We had um, a lot of sport and softball and gymnastics. And I remember feeling as I was pregnant with my fourth, who is our son that was born with disabilities, how I was almost reaching my limit with what I could cope with. We were already beginning to see that life was busy. And I think for many families, you get caught up in that um, rough and tumble of school life and activities, family events and all sorts of things. So, um, you know, I was beginning to realise that, you know, sometimes things have to give. But life was, you know, full of different things. We had ups and downs as well, like any family. But really, I think we were just chugging along and doing our best to support our children. Yeah, I love the way you describe it as the rough and tumble. It's actually how I describe the early years with my family too, the rough and tumble of family life. You first started worrying about Al's development when he was about six months old. Can you tell us about that time? So this little boy was born and um, at the time when I was born, he was um, seen as just a regular birth. Uh, his APGARs were nine and ten and we felt we had this delicious little boy. And, you know, we chugged along um, when he was about five or six months at first, I felt as an older mum, I was 40 when I had Al, that, you know, I didn't remember all of the development, but with the girls, they did things very, very fast. He's got three older sisters. And so, you know, nothing really, I think the relief of having the pregnancy over and having this little baby. But then we began to see that he didn't seem to have the head control that, you know, he maybe should have had. And we started by getting some support through the local child health centre and the GP. And, you know, really we were on this path of doing exercises for his neck. And so around that time, I remember my mum, who used to come with me to appointments and she's an old physio, she actually asked the physio, you know, what do you think is wrong? And at that time, you know, the physio said, oh, we think it's cerebral palsy, a bit like saying, do you want a cup of tea? And I remember at the time, you know, this vision of what is cerebral palsy and, you know, what 
what on earth does that mean? And for me as a young mum, I remember a gentleman outside the local Westfield sitting in a wheelchair and selling pens. And, you know, I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, is this my little boy? Mm. And, you know, in retrospect now, when I think right back on that time, how we move with our understanding of disability, because I now think of that man as, you know, being independent, Mm. you know, contributing to the economy and doing something that brings satisfaction in terms of a role and a job so you know often what shock you have in the beginning you move along a timeline of understanding and growth but at the time it was feeling like I had concrete poured on top of me you know Mm. getting this diagnosis and having this little boy um, that we absolutely adored and what did it mean and what what lies ahead for us You've painted that so vividly and and isn't it right that our attitudes have changed so much in our understanding of disability and what it means about people's participation in community and so on? Thanks for describing that for us. When we first met, you talked with me about how important it was that you found Al's personality at that time. It's a good question, Kerry. I, you know, I think when, you know, we got this diagnosis, I remember standing in the kitchen with mum and, and, you know, she said to me, you know, two things. One, she said, Pen, do you need a Valium? And I said, no. <laughs> and the other one, she said, just remember that that little boy that we have here now with us is the same little boy as he was yesterday. He's the same little boy that smiles and laughs and engages with you and, um, you know, you must remember not to let disability define him. And I also heard a number of things around that time. My first thing was that I didn't want to be the angry mother of a disabled child. I didn't want to be on that treadmill and being angry because that really wasn't part of my nature, I guess. doesn't mean that I don't drop my bundle, but I just um, was thinking, you know, what what is this for me and how am I going to find my way? I remember my brother saying to me two things. He said, Pen, make the most of life because there are challenges around the corner. And then he said, out of adversity comes good things. Both those things have held true. But the second one particularly, finding that path and realising that there is a lot of growth from adversity. And as a parent, we know as well with our children, if we're always being a helicopter and protecting them from everything, they don't learn resilience. And I also feel that resilience is something that Al has taught me. Mm. And I think around that time there was a lot of shock and confusion, but also listening to some of the words of others. Someone yeah. said never be afraid to listen to the ideas of others because they might have an idea that works really well and, and you don't have to take everything on board. But also it's important to think outside the square and sometimes a different opinion of how to do something might really empower you to work differently. Mm. So you had these sort of words of wisdom coming from from your mum and your your brother and and other people around you, but it sounds like you were using those words and thoughts to really think about what was happening in your life and adjusting to Al and his disability. Is that right? Well, in our case, Al had a physical disability, but he was still this cute little boy and still very little and, you know, re- you know, like any little baby in a way. And it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is, you know, you, you sort of have these visions of what 
is ahead, but you don't really know. And I think, you know, some of the opinions were great. There was another example of it. Someone said to me, oh, you must talk to this other mother of four children with a child with cerebral palsy. And she said to me, make sure you go on all the bushwalks you can because you'll never be able to do them. And that did put me on a path of spinning out of control. And I remember thinking, I can't, I can't listen to that. And I'm friends with that mom and we've, you know, smiled and laughed about it later. And I just said, I just wasn't ready to hear that. And every child with cerebral palsy or disability, they're all unique and they're all different. And so sometimes linking yourself with someone else, their journey is going to be different. And I think that's something I have taken along the journey with me. People would say, why is an owl in the special school? And at first, you know, your shackles might go up and you think, well, why are they saying that to me? You know, I've made this choice to send him to the local school or to do this. And then realising that it's an opportunity to help people along the journey and the vision of your child and what you're hoping for your child. And and I think um, gaining confidence was something that I gradually was able to do. Mm, thank you, Penny. That's um, that's really insightful about the way you've uh, listened to other people and then decided for yourself about what you'll take on board and, and not. And in amongst this, you're talking about Al and his personality and that being really um, important to hang on to. Absolutely. And I think that this little boy that would laugh when there were funny cartoons or laugh if his pants fell down or, or um, you know, smile, uh, you know, that became something that I really hung on to and I wanted people to know about Al. I didn't want them to be seeing the boy that was dribbling or, you know, the boy that was untidily dressed. So best foot forward was something that we all want to do. And if it meant taking 10 photographs to get the best one, we were going to do that. And as we journeyed forward with Al and he got to about four and he got his first walker and then loved loved kicking a ball, I suddenly realised that um, equipment changes lives and the best foot forward we had some contact with the media with newspapers and even television I would laugh and say to these camera guys you know hair and makeup without you know (laughs) wait we're going to wipe his mouth we're going to get his shirt looking tidy like you or I we we want to look our best and for kids with disabilities this was really important for me to just um you know, show him as his personality and as the best kid he could be. Mm-hmm. And I think the journey with all children is we want them to be their best, their best self. Well, for all of our children, yeah. You've had a real focus on advocacy over the years, Penny, um, for Al, but also in your professional life. What, what do you mean by advocacy? Well, advocacy was a word I didn't really know a lot about, but I learned very early on that, you know, being the voice and being able to speak for what is fair and what is equal, like all our children, if you can't access sport, then, you know, that's, you know, not really very fair. I remember one day these the SLSO, that's the support worker at school for Al, made a decision never to send home any um, notices from school that Al might not be able to do, like gymnastics. She mm-hmm. said, oh, I sent that home. And I said, well, we might want to do gymnastics. And so we went and we found out a way that he could be involved and we talked to them about it and he loved that gym class. And so I learned very early on that uh, people don't do things purposely or anything, but sometimes people make decisions that impact your child or impact you as a family 
naively, mm. but it's also incumbent upon us to say there are creative ways to do things. And, you know, your child can't necessarily do everything the same. And we learnt this on excursions. When we got on the bus and there were no tie-downs for the wheelchair and the bus driver drove like a maniac to the school excursion, um, you know, I would then email the transport department and say these kids need to be tied down on their school bus. Why not on their excursion bus? Or um, the sixth grade coordinator that said Al wouldn't want to go on their school camp to Canberra into the snow. And I realised later he was fearful and he didn't know how to do it. And so we'd say, no, Al, we want Al to go. And I think Al needs to be there. And as much as anything, his peer group need to see him being included. And so advocacy became something that I thought wasn't sort of out there to be angry or anything, but how do we make this happen? How do we work with the school, work with the community and work with people to try and make that happen? And so, um, yeah, my work role as a social worker and with a group called Family Advocacy taught me that there are ways to do things and you can be gently persistent and um, keeping that idea of not being angry because in the end you want people to come along for the ride with you. Mm. Gently persistent. What a good phrase. One of the um, learning support teachers in the high school, I did ask her one day, I said, what do you do when you come up against roadblocks in inclusion, which is something I'm also very passionate about? And she said to me, Penny, I go around the people. We can't convince everyone. And I found, you know, even on a school excursion when something was inaccessible, you can talk to the organisers or do some preparatory work beforehand that say, you know, your excursion will be even better if it's accessible. Yeah. Mothers with prams, kids with disabilities that can't walk there, um, you know, it, it is in your interest to make this work. Mm. And finding a way that might be creative or involving them in that process seemed to be good way to advocate but a good way to improve a situation. Mm. You, In talking about advocacy, I think all of your examples have been really about Al's inclusion and participation and you said that's also important to you. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, inclusion, I never knew what the word was but I wanted yes. him to run with the pack, run with his peers and be as close doing things as closely as his sisters did. They played competitive sport. And I realised when Al, who can't sit, stand or walk, was put in his first walker, he loved to kick a ball. And I noticed at the local RSL they were enrolling for soccer and I stood out there and I rang my brother who has a child the same age who plays soccer and I said, Al just loves to kick a ball. Am I brave enough to go in and enrol him in soccer? He said, yes, Pen, go. So in I went and I had photos of Al in his walker and I thought maybe he could be the drink boy on the soccer team. They said, oh, no, he can be enrolled. Now, the soccer club had no idea what they were taking on, but the flow-on effect of inclusion and giving Al opportunities went on to other children as well. Mm -hmm. Al played soccer in a mainstream team for four years. He got fit. The teams learnt about a kid with disabilities in a walker being able to join in and other clubs then realised that kids with autism or other kids could have someone on the field assisting them. They had these rules that no one could do that. We had Duke of Edinburgh girls helping to push Al's walker on the field. So we really um, realised that inclusion is about finding a creative way 
And so in our case, we would have the kids over to play and do PlayStation to our place, to our environment. And often there are ways to do that. I think about a young girl with an intellectual disability I heard about in a workshop. She was 14 and all her family taught or were lecturers at Harvard University. And she told everyone she was going to Harvard. And so the family were quite concerned how she going to go to Harvard. Anyway, she got a job in the library at Harvard. She got a Harvard jumper and she goes to Harvard. And so this taught me that there are ways around everything. Mm-hmm. I've seen the um, the short film of uh, Al in the soccer team and it's really a fabulous way of um, showing us about inclusive practices. That's available for other people to see, isn't it, Penny, on yes. YouTube? Yeah, that's on YouTube if you Google Alex Graham soccer, cerebral yeah. palsy soccer that comes up, as well as Al's story. Thinking about children with other disabilities and like autism, you know, I've come in contact with some incredible young people and I think what we need to remember is that every child is unique. Um, I'm in contact with a young lady who's 26 with Down syndrome, has her own fashion design business and she's um, sewing for the local vet and she's really kicking it out of the ballpark. Another young man I'm aware of with autism has a, a chocolate biscuit making business and I just think that having a vision is something that I learned early on even when they're in primary school and you say what your child is is likely to do or hoping to do and I think finding the passion and this is so important for siblings as well Al had three older sisters and I think for them seeing that Al was being involved in sport involved in school activities was very important. And I think we mustn't forget the siblings in all of this. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. We've had um, a few Family Voices podcasts that have really focused on issues around siblings, but I think also what you're talking about, about Al's um, participation and contribution, um, we've had fabulous stories from other families on the podcast about this too. Penny, you mentioned earlier um, about Al going to the local school. Can you tell us a bit more about his experience at school? Uh, Yes, Kerry, I'd love to. Thinking back to preschool, I remember uh, wondering about what school we would send Al to, and Al was at his local preschool. When I heard that 21 of the students were going to the local school, and I also was wondering, I just still wanted him to have the same experience that he was having in preschool with these kids, and he'd made some friendships. And so I decided to uh, approach the local school and they were welcoming, and it made sense to me for him to go to this local school. There was a special school across the road, and I'm very conscious that families always make the right decision for them, but for us, I wanted to follow this idea of inclusion. And so a lot of work went into that. But I think, you know, at the time I remember thinking, well, he's just following along and I want him to have the same experiences we gave his sisters. So when he got to the local school, there was a lot in terms of adjustment, in terms of understanding and being available for the support workers and for the teacher. And there were a few little bumps, but generally speaking, because he had this core peer group that went with him, he was there with the other kids. It was very important for me to see that he, you know, was involved in sport. We'd take in the walker. Um, if there, We had a speech box so that he had augmentative communication which is something that helps him speak because Al is nonverbal. 
we had signs, we made a beautiful little book at the time. And I think nowadays parents are able to make things videos on their phones, which is much more updated. But we were very clear to say to the school, any questions, anything we can do, let us know and we will support you in what needs to be done. We're very happy to help. One word of warning though, you don't need to become the taxi driver for the school excursions. No, you want the kid on the bus with everybody else. I think that there was a little adjustment with that, but once that expectation was set and the vision was set that he's one of the kids, then the school seemed to get into the rhythm. One little story I always remember by fourth grade, he took to fourth grade to tell me non-verbally that he wanted a, a lunch order. Uh-huh. And finally, we realised, and of course, he could see these lunch orders coming to the classroom and we realised that he could eat the soft food. There were some things he could eat. And so then I worked in the tuck shop as well. And, you know, that was a part of the soft curriculum, which is something I always want to stress. Mm. We don't remember the mass test. We remember the swimming carnival, the athletics carnival, the excursions, right through from primary school to high school. Having your child involved in the soft curriculum is really important. Yeah, it's a good way to describe it, soft curriculum, a good way for us to, to remember it. What, what's what's Al doing now? How's he participating and contributing to, to family and community life? You know, Al works informally as an advocate with the sharing of his film and his story. Mm-hmm. He's also just recently launched his own online gift buying business with support. So he's had a website designed and Buying gifts is one of his passions, and so we focused in on that. And, uh, you know, we've also talked to Al all his life about contributing and being a volunteer. And one little story about Al as well in terms of remembering was Al's best friend was in Nepal during the earthquake. And we said to Al, well, you're going to really have to do something for this earthquake. What, What can you do? And Al was supported to have a GoFundMe page and raised $1,800 for this cause. And and I think, you know, finding ways that kids are have responsibilities, whether they're listening to someone read, whether they're assisting a neighbour or making something for someone else, that's something that we've felt with Al as well. You know, he's got the um, idea that, you know, gift buying is something by um, using other um, services like Buy from the Bush, you know, looking at how you can contribute and give back as well. So Al's also moved out, so he's now living in his own unit, a two-bedroom rental unit with support from NDIA. So um, leading his own life at 22 and making decisions and making sure his mother doesn't just pop by without texting first. He's hosted um, Christmas this year at his place. So, um, you know, I think we're, we're always trying to look. I guess I also want to say that as a mum or a carer, it's not without the days where we drop our bundle and I'm yeah. riding that camp as well. So I don't want to give the impression that everything is always smooth. There are bumps along the way and, you know, getting support for ourselves emotionally is very important. That's something that I do and I also have yoga that I've been doing for about seven years. One of my daughters said to me, Mum, you can look after yourself and she yeah. enrolled me in yoga. And I, so, you know, I, there was a, you know, listening to my daughter. And, yes. um, you know, so I think... Um, you know, the road can be bumpy, but, um, you know, girlfriends are great as well. 
Yeah, yeah. So it's nice that you've you've talked to us about some of those supports within the family, but girlfriends, close family and friends, you've also mentioned a few formal supports, but lovely to hear about the ways in which you're thinking about looking after yourself too with uh, yoga or whatever it might be. We all have something different, don't we, that um, helps us look after ourselves. Penny, I'm curious about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. You mentioned that you've got funding, um, Al has funding and it's helped him with housing and so on. But because of his age, then I know that that means that your experience has been before the NDIS, during its implementation and now with Al having a, a package of support. How has the NDIS supported Al to have a, a full life? Look, the NDIS has been, in our case, it's been a very positive change to his life. Pre-NDIS, we we were helped by family and I didn't mention that two of my brothers gave me a lovely girl, um, Jess, to help us as a nanny two days a week and that did lift me a lot around the age of seven and Jess is still with us but now she works, um, she's employed through the NDIA. So... um, you know, in the beginning, I had very little support from that, which was great, but um, I learned to access a little bit of respite a couple of hours a week to go and have a coffee with a girlfriend. Since the NDIA, I've gone back in the workforce and that's been you know, life-changing for me and also financially for the family, but also for Al um, to be able to make choices to, you know, continue having a mentor being able to design the website, get going with his business, and really the the housing has been extremely important for our family. So in many ways, but it's not without the bumps with that and, you know, the concerns and going to review, which families will all relate to. But I think um, choice and control for Al, it's really been very important and supported decision-making. So having a say when we go to the um, review meetings, he is always there. We always insist that he's there. We always insist that they listen to Al, even though he's nonverbal. Through eye gaze, he can communicate. And I think um, being able to keep our young people front and centre as much as they can be in that meeting. And if they can't be in that meeting, whether they can record something or, you know, do a collage or, or send something that is there vision for themselves. So I'm really, um, I think it's really important. But the NDIA has made some positive changes for us. It's not without advocacy. We've been in touch with our local members over different issues along the way, and that's something I have learned to do. Um, You know, if things aren't working out or we are, in, you know, very concerned about something that's very unfair, even with the health department, we've, you know, had to access the local member or look to, you know, always politely and always to point out, you know, this is an anomaly. My son is not getting health access the way he needs to. How can we improve this? But, you know, I I think having a circle of support is something else we've done since Al was in primary school with a group of friends and meeting and putting out issues. Don't be alone in any of this. Possibly reach out to others, reach out to families. Mm. Your circle of support you mentioned, is that both within the family and, and friends or and professionals? Just with friends. So um, there is information on various sites, including family advocacy, on circles of support. Mm. And um, it's something that every family, you might use family members. I've got friends doing it. And it's something where we meet informally at a hotel or at home and we I put out the issues that are particularly 
you know, challenging at the moment. When Al transitioned to high school, one of the things the circle supported me to do was to make a video, which we then showed at the staff meeting the year before he started. And uh, it was how Al communicated with one of his mates. So, you know, again, trying to think outside the square, how to support my child, but you don't need to have all the answers. Having a few people brainstorm with you is another way to do that. Yeah, yeah, we work better with uh, combined thinking, don't we? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that did support me was a group called Family Advocacy, and I think in every state there are different groups, and I would ring before school meetings, even in primary school for IEP meetings, planning meetings, and I would say these are a few of the issues, and, you know, I would run them past the family advocacy and they would give me ideas before I went into the meeting. Something I'd also say to parents, even from primary school, when you have a, a meeting, take a girlfriend to be a silent note taker, someone who can sit beside you and take notes in the meeting because it's all your energy is focused on having that meeting, keeping a sense of, you know, understanding what's happening. But she would, my girlfriend would write these notes out. We'd then go for a coffee afterwards and debrief and we'd just talk about the meeting and just relax, but she had it all written down for me. And that was a, that's been a great tip that I've received from an organisation. So things like that um, I think are really important. And I think just, you know, making sure you're available and making sure that you're willing to um talk about things that come up. Like if a swimming carnival is coming up in primary school and your child can't swim, how can they participate? Mm. And you'll see that in the owl story. You'll see that he did participate in the high school swimming carnival in a canoe. So mm. the master was able to support that. Mm. Finding the staff in the school that are going to support you and never be afraid to ask, I think it's really. And if you can't ask, put it in an email, be polite and, you know, keep the paper trail yeah. is the other thing with emails. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with families listening today, Penny? Well, I think just everyone tells us we know our child best and we do. And another thing I would say, I was a mum who would put my hand up and say, I need a break from therapy with Al. We'd have three weeks break, but, you know, over the holidays and we'd just be a family. And I think uh, your child is unique, your family is unique. You know, just um, remember that, you know, there are services out there, but it is okay. I, I would write to my family sometimes if I was drowning and say, you know, can you give me some ideas? Can you support me a little bit? You know, this is what I think I need. I have learned to say this is what I need. When I spent four and a half months in children's hospital while I was unwell, you know, my girlfriend said, what do you need? And I said, I need a meal for me, not for the family at home. <laughs> I need a home-cooked meal in the hospital, you know, something as simple as that. And someone said to me, you know, what can I do? You're in hospital. And then I, you know, my girlfriend in New York organised Thai food to be delivered to Westmead Children's Hospital from New York. So when you think outside the square, yeah. there are ways to do it, you know. So. Yeah, and those little things that make a difference, eh? They do, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Penny, the Family Voices podcast is mostly listened to by parents of very young children and I think what you've talked with us about today, about Al's trajectory, the kind of full life he's living at the moment and the ups and downs of family life that you've shared so honestly has been incredibly helpful 
So thank you. Um, it's been real privilege for me to meet you and, and hear more about your family. And I'd encourage people to have a look at the YouTube clips to see Al out on the field playing soccer and uh, being involved in community life. It's inspiring. Oh, thank you, Kerry. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. This conversation with Penny is my last Family Voices podcast. It was inspiring to hear Penny's story, as it has been to hear from all the other parents and grandparents who have shared their experiences. I've learnt from them all. I've been humbled by everyone's readiness to share their stories and wisdom so honestly with me and you. It's been a privilege to host the podcast for Ekia Victaz. I'm finishing up, but the Family Voices podcast will continue. So keep listening, as I will. Thank you and goodbye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Early Childhood Intervention Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe on your podcast app and feel free to leave a review to help us gain more understanding of what type of conversations are helpful to you. More information about this podcast can be found on ekiavik.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening. Listening.